Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. I do think it's a journey and no one has mastered it. And that's what the value of the scientific community is to work together. Just being aware of the fact technology alone is not the solution. Just being aware of the fact you need to combine different kind of sciences together to really create an impact is itself a very big understanding. Thanks for joining us on This Week Health Keynote. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a channel dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. Special thanks to our keynote show sponsors, Sirius Healthcare, VMware, Transparent, Press Ganey, Sempris, and Veritas for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. All right, today we're joined by Ashish Atreja, Dr. Ashish Atreja, CIO and Chief Digital Health Officer for UC Davis Health. Ashish, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Glad to be here. You have the honor of being the only interview I ever completely screwed up. I actually deleted one of the interviews. Our first interview that we did together, I deleted. And as a professional, that's the only time that's ever happened to me. I feel like I should apologize to you every time I have you on the show. It's kind of crazy. Which was the reason it got automatically deleted. Maybe there were things which were told, which should not have been told. So it's I, all good. Maybe, to maybe, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Well, you, you were... Well, first of all, you're with UC Davis. So tell us about UC Davis Health a little bit. Yeah, so we are one of the five health systems in the UC system. And one thing which I did not know, which I actually got to know by the time I was signing my letter, was all the UC system, the UCLA, UCSF, UC San Diego, UC Irvine, and UC Davis. We are one legal entity, as well as with all the UC schools, School of Engineering, Biomedical Engineering, Computer Science, UC Berkeley, we are all one legal entity. So, so the collective power of UC system is amazing. 10% of all NIH funding, 10% of all research productivity in medical science, 50% of physicians trained in California, all come from UC system. So, and it's a public organization. And I think I always wanted to be part of I've been very fortunate to be part of medical institutions, Cleveland Clinic, Mount Sinai, where it's health focus, but where we are going is the intersection of healthcare with other technologies. Right. So I think one of the things that really attracted was being part of universities so I can interface, we can interface in healthcare much more meaningful with all other sciences, social sciences, right? Humanistic sciences, nursing, medical school, computer sciences, engineering, IoT stuff, and really build new things together. So UC Davis being one of those five medical centers and one of the universities based in Sacramento, Davis area. So it's right where the capital of California is. We're one hour from the Bay Area. So very close to Silicon Valley in that regard. And it has number one agriculture university, agriculture college in the country. That's why it's called UC Davis Aggies. A lot of focus on food and medicine. And with me being a gastroenterologist, that's a natural inclination as well. 
And the academic center covers a very wide 22 counties in California, all the way, if you can look from Pacific Ocean to Utah, from West Coast to Utah, there's no other academic center in that whole wide geographical area. And if you look all the way from San Fran to Portland, from North to South, there's no other job, there's no other academic medical center in that area. So by default, by nature, this wide area, you know, renders it perfect for telehealth and digital health and outreach. Well, I think that's the thing that would surprise people is Sacramento is on the edge of a, a, a significant rural population in and across California, even reaching up into Oregon and out across some other states. So you are the academic medical center for a significant portion of, of at least geography, right? So UCLA right. is UCLA. I mean, it's Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, your geography and reach is pretty significant, isn't it? That is correct. And that's why different organizations build different muscle memories, different things capacity. So because of this outreach, not only we are number three in diversity in our medical school, very significant. In fact, when I was meeting our medical students, many of them actually have come from a completely rural background. They're the first medical student in the entire community coming to us, right? So there's that part of it from our diversity and inclusiveness and community part. And then there's the other part, which is we were awarded in 1992, the Center for Health and Technology by Governor Schwarzenegger to be the telehealth center for California and train all the people in telehealth way back in 1992, because of this wider reach, there was no other ways to reach out than through phone and sometimes video call in 1992 in that regard. So that those muscle, that, that capacity building has happened because of the mission and the spread that the region we serve. The last time we talked, you were Mount Sinai in New York, New York, Sacramento, very different. Walk us through the journey to this new role. I mean, what, what did it look like to go from there to there, how did you know? How did you make that decision? Yeah, so so first, I consider myself extremely fortunate to be in world class organizations and then learn from it, and hopefully contribute at some level. So Cleveland Clinic started my journey in informatics, where I did my informatics, my GI fellowship, as well as my medical residency, and allowed me to learn the structure and the organizational. The- and the IP building role in that regard and my medical informatics career. I think Sinai was where in 2013 when I joined is really launched my entry into digital health field. And this is like two, three years after iPad came and Cleveland Clinic allowed me to play in informatics world and EHR world and allowed me to realize that I'm only tackling half of the world. The real world is a patient world and all the applications we are focused from a traditional informatics world are all physician applications, right? So, so yes, we can empower physicians, but as soon as the person and a patient leaves the physician office, there's nothing to support them at their home. And with the iPhone, with the iPad coming in, I became a big believer in kind of, we need to build an entirely different set of ecosystem. Very much like what we are building EHR, we need a digital health ecosystem for patients and patient-driven. And that journey started uh, with being in the chief innovation officer role at Mount Sinai and starting the App Lab, which was first or second in the country as a collaborative help to 
it was like a startup within Mount Sinai, within a health system to build and test medical apps, right? And Sinai being very academic organization as well, gave me that academic freedom to not only go after NIH grants and other industry grants. So I've been NIH funded since 2013, but also kind of the mentorship and the support and the ecosystem in New York City to actually launch the first app prescribing platform. In fact, I just got the patent finally after seven, eight years where Monsana has got now the patent for being the first app prescribing platform where doctors very much like we can prescribe medicines or we can tell surgeries right from the EHR now we can prescribe apps or digital therapeutics or virtual care tools or remote monitoring toolkits, right? Then why it was really important to have a playground is we never knew we can build apps within a health system. We never knew in 2013, the apps will start to become a dominant part, the digital health will become a dominant part of our care delivery matter. But we did know we need to move from one-to-one care to one-to-many care because the biggest capacity that we lack world wide in healthcare is not the science of medicine. We know we have medicines right now which can treat any patients for blood pressure and can have 95 to 97% patients blood pressure being controlled within four weeks. But in truly, in, in the actual world, we have only 40, 45% of patients controlled with blood pressure. That's a big gap between 95% which science can do versus the gap in healthcare delivery that's why 45% people are controlled. And that gap is because there are not many enough physicians and we only provide care traditionally when a patient is in front of us. And now you can extend post COVID when a patient is in front of us in a virtual screen, but it's still taking the same amount of time for a physician to do it. So apps and digital therapeutics actually can have the same kind of framework being provided to thousands of patients, kind of creating medical avatar physician of the art. So, so that role had been very meaningful and relevant at Sinai, where I felt the next stage of evolution would have been is what I call as from innovation to transformation, fit journey. You can innovate as a chief innovation officer. We innovated a lot of startups got spinned out, including the app prescribing platform, which licensed to rx.health. But how do you transform that every single patient that touches your health system gets access to the best technology in that. So it's not a 500 people or a 50 people pilot or just siloed in one speciality. Every speciality, the access to the latest tools and efficiency gets done. And what got excited me for the UC Davis health role was reporting directly to the CEO, Dr. Lebarski was it brought in not only the chief digital health officer and innovation role, which I was doing at Sinai, but also the CIO role. So it's not standalone innovation and the goal is to innovate and just do a spin out or kind of create IP value. The goal is to do innovation so you can actually do transformation and bring it a core part of the entire IT and the entire organization structure, right? So, because I think the, the field has matured, digital health and AI, and it needs now transformation, even more than sometimes innovation. We'll get back to our show in just a minute. 
we have a couple of webinars coming up and I don't like webinars. I think they are oversaturated at this point. And I think a lot of them are not all that good. And so that's why I think I'm the perfect person to put together webinars for you. I make sure that we have great topics. I validate them with CIOs. I make sure we have great guests and I make sure that we actually plan ahead and we actually spend time together before the actual webinar. So it's not just spur of the moment stuff, but we make sure we identify the things that we should talk about in those webinars. And we even collect questions from you ahead of the webinar so that we can make sure to talk about the things that you want to talk about. So let me tell you a little bit about the two webinars we have coming up. There's a global survey that we talked about on the Today Show. A thousand cybersecurity professionals found that 30% plan to change professions within two or more years. And cybersecurity threats are growing. And, you know, quite frankly, we need to make sure that we recruit, retain, and optimize our staff so that they can be our front line. And so the first webinar we're doing is How's Your Frontline Recruit? retain and optimize your cybersecurity team. And we're going to talk to experts from Christiana Care and Seattle Children's and Semperus about their thoughts on this exit of security professionals and what you can do to stay ahead of that. You can join us August 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern time, and you can register right on our homepage, thisweekhealth.com. On the top right-hand side, you're going to have the two upcoming webinars. You can go ahead and click on those. Again, that is August 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. The next one, we're going to talk about ransomware, but I've seen a lot of different ransomware webinars. I love this one. The topic we came up with is don't pay the ransom. And Rubric is bringing together some great leaders from Thomas Jefferson University and St. Luke's University Health System and, and Rubric themselves. And we're going to discuss solutions around protecting all of your healthcare data, especially as you're moving to the cloud. And specifically, we're also going to talk about Epic Backup in Azure and what Rubric is doing around that. That webinar is going to be on Thursday, August 18th at 1 p.m. You can register for both of them. Just go to our homepage, thisweekhealth.com. Upper right-hand corner, you're going to see both of the graphics for those. Click on the one you want to attend, fill out the form, and we will see you then. Now back to our show. Yeah. So let me ask you this. The When we talk about this, you've got me completely off my game, which is great. I appreciate that because you got my mind going. We're talking about scaling healthcare essentially is what we're talking about here. And we're trying to create that, that personal relationship with a multitude of people in our communities, a constant ongoing relationship from the health system and the care providers to just a mass of people. So a lot of times people use this analogy and, uh, and I, actually, I think it's appropriate. Our car has all these sensors. It's reporting back. Somebody's looking at those sensors. They'll know if there's an anomaly. They'll tell us, hey, you should do something. It's an ongoing relationship and, and it's passive for the most part. I don't really recognize that my car has that relationship, but when it needs that relationship, I'm glad it's there. I think a lot of people from the patient side are looking for that kind of relationship with a trusted healthcare provider like UC Davis. They're saying, look, I want more time. You want more touch points. I want more touch points. I want you to know, do I have a breathing irregularity? Do I have blood pressure issues? I want you to be looking at that. But what I have found is we need other technologies. Cause if you just throw all that information in front of a single physician, you, you crater that physician. So what technologies are going to step in there to help us to be able to scale that and create those personal relationships? 
yeah and i think technologies have become ubiquitous and i think things you are touching upon we call it remote monitoring technologies and uh, the things that we did this trial at mount sinai we prescribed an app with remote monitoring devices bluetooth connected devices for heart failure patients and showed 40% emission reduction and this is 5 years ago but that has now advanced that you can combine those device based technologies for monitoring with what we call as deviceless monitoring which is this text messaging or a nudge from a phone or from a email to see how they are doing symptom wise we call it epros electronic patient reported outcomes and the whole logic is built on that so if a person answers something that's variation of before it automatically gets alerted so you can combine all these also digital programs i call it lavango like programs you can now create those programs and we created around 15 or 20 of the programs by the time i left at sana and now we are trying to do across every specialty at uc davis so not only the patients get monitored which can happen with devices the flip side of that is bill we had patients like in other examples who were uncontrolled if we don't have the capacity and they were still having uncontrolled blood pressure being reported for 6 months and no one is acting on it and their behavior is not getting modified right so you combine those technology of deviceless monitoring with also what we call as a digital navigation or digital front door so they learn about it what to do different as well and and then if you have those technology layers right i'm not going to say some proprietary names or something of that nature but then you have a business model which is now rpm codes and now beyond rpm codes now we are remote therapeutic monitoring codes to do deviceless monitoring so now not only you can actually bring on this technology in a very mature manner with ehr to masses but you can actually get compensation for the efforts and the compensation can be so structured the way it is that you can establish a whole team of remote monitoring team what we call as a digital navigators now so the doctors can do their job and they manage critical things but this passive data that's coming sometimes need to be actively handled you have a central team that's handling that and then bubbling up to the right physicians for the right decision making then we have been now able to scale it what we call as enterprise wide and it's not then dependent on momentum of inertia or sponsorship of one physician or one chair or one specialty it is now embedded across specialty as a key operation kind of a division role yeah you you take us down this road of i think the category that people are talking about is asynchronous health right so it's our asynchronous healthcare so uh, a lot of it doesn't need to be real time doesn't need to be yeah. me and you talking or you and me seeing each other it could just be an inquiry about yep. hey i have this or reporting in hey i got up today i feel a lot better whatever but usually it's a prompt from the health system and we have found that <laughs> unbelievable texting is still the best mechanism for getting feedback from patients and so this asynchronous model becomes a, an interesting way to scale but you took us in a direction and i'm just going to keep going there which is behavioral change right yeah i i remember i i was having conversations with doctors when i was at st joe's and we were we were talking about things and one of the one of the doctors was was talking to me i'm like what do we really need to do to move the needle and he said bill at the end of the day we have to do behavioral change because the behaviors of the us population is just horrible and actually that started us on a road of exploring what does it take to change people's behaviors and we were looking at at prompts and those kind of things have you guys explored 
how to really move a population from a behavioral health or not behavioral health, from a behavior standpoint in terms of health activities? Yeah. And I, I share the journey. I do think it's a journey and no one has mastered it. And that's, that's what the, the value of the scientific community is to work together in that regard. Just being aware of that gap is a very big thing. Just being aware of the fact technology alone is not a solution. Just being aware of the fact you need to combine different kind of sciences together to really create an impact is itself a very big understanding. First of all, I like to second completely, I believe text is the most dominant engaging strategy today that exists and the biggest to bring on digital bridge from a digital device. So you can have an app, but the first part easiest to start is a text, right? So, so we had a lot of success in that. In fact, we actually embedded a whole text layer of building technologies. So most of the things that got prescribed actually came as a text in the first. We launched during COVID in the middle in New York City when the pandemic was really at its worst. We had we got so many calls of patients, we did not have enough bodies to take the phone calls. We then recruited medical students from Mount Sinai and we ran through the medical students. We still were getting more calls. We then launched a bot, which we prescribed through the EHR to 1 million patients. But the bot, even though it was based on Microsoft Azure bot technology, the engagement for the bot started with a text engine to the patient. The thing we care about, you want to give you on behalf of Mount Sinai the most accurate information for COVID, click here to begin. It is a deep link then we could launch a bot experience, a complete web experience, a complete app experience. And 55,000 people automatically decided to passively monitor themselves over eight weeks without a single in-person coordinator. And if you had waited for them to come into the uh, portal, into my chart or whatever you were using at Mount Sinai, that, that open rate is a lot lower than text. The text open rate has to be just astronomical compared to that. Absolutely. And it is proactive. It is reaching to them, right? And you can create any number of experience, infinitesimal experience using that deep link. You can bring any app, you can bring any bot, you can bring any text message conversation. It's just imagination. So now when you have that toolkit with you of completely infinitesimal design thinking possibility. Now you can bring that layer of behavior modification to it because now you're not constrained by a model of one portal where only this thing gets shown. You are bubbling up the most important thing. You want the person to take action right there, right? Yep. So you can get the patient, we call it the next best step. So, so I did my master's in public health and it was in health behavioral modification. And my master's thesis was medication adherence. And at that time, we did not have digital technology. So I lacked the tools. So we created a framework called Simple Framework for Adherence. But now we have the digital health tools to actually implement that framework. So in a way, if, if we look at that models, previous models of health behavioral theories, very well validated models across different diseases, there's a very proven model called health belief model, which means I need to believe in it that I'm at risk. And what I'm going to do is going to really benefit me, right? Now, but once I know those, for example, many people with smoking know that they are at risk. They may not understand the magnitude of that, so you can explain them. And they may understand the benefit if they quit sometimes, and we explain them. The third important thing is self-efficacy, that they should believe that they can do it. And that is like for weight loss, right? 
I know weight loss is good for me. For example, I'm overweight and I know it's going to be beneficial for me. The side effects are less, but I may not feel competent enough that I have the things to me to actually be able to do that. But if you combine those health belief domains, which start with knowledge first, because if you lack knowledge, you're not going to have those right beliefs. So, so then you segment the population in terms of persona for any population health program into people that first we need to empower them with the right knowledge. And the knowledge then you believe led them to create new, better beliefs based on scientific knowledge, both on risk, so they act on it and the benefit. And then you give them empowering tools in that sequence, right? So, so you take that structure of the model and then you embed it into a digital health program, which means if you have to do for blood pressure, you start off being in a digital monitoring program, you create a program which engages them to text message on behalf of the cardiologist or primary care doctor, tells them how much risk they are if the blood pressure is uncontrolled for stroke and others, and how much benefit they get if they get the right medicines. They get the knowledge, then you walk them. It's so easy to monitor it by just a blood pressure monitor. And actually you prescribe a blood pressure monitor with a 4G kit that reaches their home and they plug into the power outlet. They don't even need to use an app. They just use any device, weight or blood pressure. The data comes back right there with alert to their text message and with alert to the physician office. So you build their self-efficacy. And then the, the last thing is, is kind of a nudges. So once they do it once, then you get the right feedback from the clinical team that, hey, glad you noticed that, glad you did that, and I'm so glad to see you're getting better, or you need an action. Then that reinforcement happens, otherwise it dies, that behavior. So, and then you can do it for any specialty once you have this toolkit and you can actually embed these principles into it. It was fascinating. When we went down this road, as I say, Joe, it was interesting because the amount of study that has gone into this is just staggering. And the and when you talked about personas, and I think when people hear personas, they think of that marketing thing where they come in and they give it, here's the 15 personas. But the psychographic profiles are limitless. It's unbelievable. All the different variables they pull together and they say, this person is likely to react to a text message in this way use this, this kind of verbiage, use these kind of words. I mean, there's so much study, detailed study and analysis has gone in to how to change behavior. But still, the U.S. is one of the most obese, just all the bad things about healthcare. We say, hey, our healthcare system's one of the worst in the world. Well, it's because our health population is one of the least healthy in the world. We're not a walking population. We're not a exercise population. Well, you're in California now. I, I'm sure you know that in California, it's a different deal. You're, you, I, I had a gym membership when I was in California. So I'm certainly more outdoors. My vitamin D level has increased automatically, which has never in my life has increased. I'm at the best weight so far in the last 15 years. It's partly, I think, California, but partly, I think I'm so blessed with the culture here. There's a value of work-life balance as well. And there's a trust in the community. So you're not just running crazy. You are in the right direction. And you also understand the more you take care of you and your family, the more you can actually be in the right direction. But I want to close the loop on your stuff on Nudge Center did one thing in UPenn. Great center. They just changed one word, Bill. And that had a big impact on the number of people taking vaccinations. So they changed the language from 
hey, we recommend vaccines, come over and take it, something like that, to we have reserved the vaccine for you, please click here to avail of this opportunity. Yeah. Just that word difference. And so we created a bot here. We have a trust bot framework to bring one to many care. We, we were able to use the same kind of principles design thinking, carefully chosen words for the booster, which most of the people had already got boosters or people who did not get booster were resistant population. We were able to reach with 30,000 people who did not have the booster, thousand people we got converted automatically without a single coordinator using one to many care using those principles. So, it's, so they, that, that brings to, in our traditional IT shop, we don't have design thinking people, right? right? We don't have people who look at words and impact of every single words. So we have to create organizational entities to build those capacities to have those interdisciplinary team of people to be more impactful. But who we need at the table? We need madmen at the table. We need the, the old madmen show with the guys who created the commercials. And they got everybody in the world to smoke. I mean, but they understood behavioral change. They understood the power of words. They understand the context and use of imagery. I mean, that whole marketing and advertising world probably has studied behavioral change more than anybody else and has been effective at it. And to be honest with you, wouldn't be too bad for us to sort of tap into that more and say, all right, let's figure out how to how to get people they they come out with got milk and all of a sudden the milk sales goes goes way up and you're like absolutely seriously two words in a, a an ad campaign got it to go there can yeah. you believe it it, it is unbelievable you know, we have made healthcare boring and by us by saying we mean is there's so much we study in our medical school right but what we don't study is communication and behavioral science impact because we just don't have time we're studying everything else right but the visual part would be either we build partnership. So I, I just became a fellow in our graduate school of management. So kind of now bringing management and marketing principles to us, because what's the value in having technology and having a program if our success rate is 20% adoption adoption? Right. What is having an important, how can we first close the loop with the portal, get to advanced portals, but can we get in a nudges fashion and the right kind of messaging to actually really get to 95% option, right? So there is an increasing understanding. I think sometimes what happens, I, what I'm realizing is you have to solve one set of problems to have your horizon being expanded to now know, now we need to go interdisciplinary. I felt we need to go through the COVID part to learn the value of virtual care and digital health. And that, hey, technology, we can seamlessly integrate. Now we can say, hey, now we can seamlessly integrate technology. How can we make it most impactful across the board? So now we can put our efforts more on, we don't know this is possible to, this is possible. Let's now work on embedding behavioral science, marketing science, and other things to make it much more impactful. So you made the move from Mount Sinai New York City, and you can't see rural anywhere from where Mount Sinai is. I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to drive pretty far out of the city if you had a car. I mean, that, I mean, it's, it's in the heart of the city. Now you're, you're in this place, and you may not have had enough time to really make this transition, but rural healthcare is, uh, some would say it's in crisis right now. We, 
came through the pandemic. We don't have enough providers out in those locations. They're not funded well enough. You have access issues. Even some of the technology doesn't reach out there as well as it could. Have you gotten a chance to really delve into rural healthcare yet, or is that an area you're exploring at this point? Oh, very much so. I would say um, nowhere I'm an expert, but we have great champions here who've been doing rural health and engaging for many years. So I've been able to build partnerships and actually do initiatives with them. Sergio from UC Davis Health has been a champion. And in fact, he had a big program where he already had grant funded to actually impact rural healthcare in migrant farm workers. And we just got an earmark on digital health equity. We got $1.7 million to actually expand framework of our express care and real-time virtual care and subspeciality access to federally qualified health centers and to community hospitals in rural California. So they are able to get access to subspecialists which they may not have or access to express care if they don't have their own primary care doctor in that regard. So a lot of the stuff we have built during COVID, UC Davis for us, and we have express care where we can bring on a physician within five minutes from emergency medicine and now expand to family care. We've been providing for our own population. Now we are saying how we kind of partner with federally qualified health centers and with other community hospitals. We have a big partnership with Adventist Health in the community as well to actually create a common technology layer and solve that access issue. Now, some of the issues like insurance gaps and others are solved through grants or some funding. We cannot have that macro impact just from that. But access issue, we've started taking stab at that and addressing that. The other part which has been helping is learning from our medical students. Many of us who actually come from the communities and many of them actually go back to the community and being trained here, we develop a kind of a network effect with them and they provide a guiding force on how to be a great learn about the needs of the community. I still believe it's a, it's a journey. I do believe COVID helped a lot because if you are a physician trained in UC Davis, for example, you can serve anywhere across California in telemedicine, right? right. So this excess capacity, wherever that exists, we are now doing at UC Davis, but I think the real thing would be, we also work with the California a Medicare Foundation and California Public Health Foundation. So if we can create a network effect, and that's what we are hoping is we do at UC Davis, but then we bring other UCs together. The other UCs are doing it, they bring us together. At least we have five health systems in different areas of California with subspeciality access being part of the same network. And then we even open it up completely to FQHCs and community health systems. And you start kind of solving more challenges that way. Yeah, it's we did a telestroke program with some of our more rural locations. It was really effective. It was there. There are situations where every minute really counts, and getting access to the specialists is uh, is so important. Let me. So, what direction do I want to go here? We have about a couple minutes left. We have about five or six minutes left. What are some of the top challenges facing healthcare in your geography right now? So we went through a clinical strategy planning, which came with tomorrow's healthcare today. And we have put Digital David as a catalyst for that. 
So from my side, what's been tasked to me is to help make UC Davis and work with other UCs to help help systems become digital and data first organization. But a big part of that, one of the one of the bigger challenges that has come to us is our limited capacity for hospitalization. Our beds are 97% full. We don't have any capacity if any peak pandemic comes or anything comes. So the, one of the mo- biggest strategic initiatives we are doing is what we call as care. I would say it's an extension of hospital home and much more bigger. It's not just take a hospitalized patients and just bring that there. It's actually bridge the gap between exactly Bill, like you mentioned, remote monitoring, deviceless and device monitoring with behavioral modification with ED to home, with hospital to home, right? So cutting across ambulatory, nursing home, acute care, post-acute care, all, but under a common technology fabric. So we have a digital Davis platform where we all cloud, a link with EHR, where we have launched digital front door with bots. The example I gave for the COVID truth bot, and then digital navigation and digital monitoring, we're bringing actually this quarter. And then next year, we started building all AI algorithms under a common AI platform as well. So there's a data layer which has AI algorithms, maturity level to scale and ingest and actually validate. And then we have the digital layer for engagement. Digital front door does transactional layers, transaction things like appointment making, nudges and those. And digital navigation and digital monitoring does more continuity of care and chronic disease management and transitions and that kind of a stuff. So these are three, I would say, technology stacks. But the goal is really to decompress the hospital and to be able to, we are not able to handle 60, 70 new patients who want to get admitted to us every day because of our lack of capacity. And the new hospital we are building, New California Tower, will take five, six years. So but one of the very interesting things that has happened within that build is we have started positioning IT as a cost center to a revenue generating center, right? So if we create this virtual or this bed at home, it's basically virtual and all the digital technologies, we are able to provide care. Suddenly we are actually enhancing the revenue of the hospital through this so our positioning is mostly, we call it open innovation, working with other health systems and health plans, but also open innovation, working with chief medical officer, chief operating officer, chief strategy officer internally to actually, we become one. IT is not a separate entity to do this as a cost center. We are actually creating a revenue generation opportunity for the entire hospital. So my four-year, five-year vision, which is now four-year, considering it's been more year here is to actually convert our entire budget to a revenue generation budget. So people and, and IT becomes the most strategic. People started looking at IT very strategically uh, as creating, changing the bottom line of an organization, not as something where cost is going. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. It's interesting when you say that because when innovators go after something, they essentially look at it and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. UC Davis, we're going to be able to see 10 times the number of patients we're seeing today, and we're going to increase our capacity for beds by 10 times in the next five years. And everyone in the room goes, oh, you're insane. There's no way to do that. We can't build fast enough. And you can't. 
I had to build buildings in California. I understand what that what that entails to build those buildings in California. And so you essentially have to think differently. And that's what that is, essentially. You're saying, look, what level of acuity can we provide in the home? What kind of tools do we need in the home? We just increased our bed capacity by whatever number of beds are in the community because we can deliver care where they live and where they're at. And so you increase the capacity almost overnight. Then you have to increase the capacity of the care providers. And that's that's a little more challenging, but you know, you're an academic medical center, you're making new doctors. And hopefully I, I would think as, as we move forward, changing the way we train doctors and how they think and how they're going to practice moving forward. And it's going to be a, a mix of, I would think, I don't know, digital, I'm, I'm leaving the interviewer person and I'm sort of postulating here because I love these conversations with you, but our, our training has to change in the medical school as well for how they're going to practice medicine going forward. I, it's, it's really fascinating. Let me close with two goofy questions. Who do you think is the Elon Musk of healthcare today? That's, that's such a great question. I never thought of it before. I, I, can't go, I can't think of one person, like either in US or globally. I do think there are very big influencers. I would say like, if we look at digital health, I would say Eric Topol is, is one of those influencer thinkers, which has influenced a lot of the thinking and led us to the right place. But I think it's a good thing that there's no one person. First, all of us, or many of us can be leaders in redefining different aspects of what we can do better. And then there's a collective wisdom that becomes science. We do not want a thing as precious as healthcare to, and nothing against Elon Musk by any chance, it's just individual, to have a one individual bias. For science to be there, it has to be adopted, mainstream and trusted. And societies have to play a role there. So I think it's, so we need to go from a bias of one to actually the wisdom of many. And I think so that's, that's actually, I think, an asset. And there can be many Elon Musk's like, or many influencers like Eric Topol in different spheres to lead us through many of the challenges we have to do for US healthcare system. From a regulatory standpoint, how our system is completely broken from insurance to other things. The divide we have, disparities we have, the focus more on commercialization rather than mainstream difference and lack of primary care access. I think there's, and then we need leaders in all of that, in that regard. I love that answer. I think it's a great answer. And to be honest with you, I was coming up with the question. I can't come up with the answer. I mean, there's, there's people who have moved the needle in terms of our thinking. And uh, you mentioned Lavango before. Seriously, I mean, Glenn Tolman has rethought the way we do diabetic care. And I think that's phenomenal. But now we're starting to see the cost of insulin go down, become more of a generic than we see that innovation in certain areas, but it's not to the same extent. Elon Musk essentially made space travel commercial, right? I mean, that's unheard of. And he, he started, he made electric cars cool. I mean, it's like everybody before, I don't know if you, do you remember, I remember the first electric car I saw. It looked like an AMC Pacer. Do you remember the AMC Pacer? It looked like an AMC Pacer with a bunch of batteries in it. I know. Never got adoption. And what is most interesting is Elon Musk did not start Tesla. Yeah. Tesla was already started. He bought Tesla. And I think that's also, I would say that's transformation part he played. 
he could spot there's an innovation. He could see the value. He doubled down on it, put all his money, which he got from PayPal into that and grew Tesla to where it is. The Tesla would not have grown. It would never have been made a difference. It could have been, become another of those cars. So there is a lesson to be learned. It's not just innovation. It's a lot of it is transformation and scaling things as well and taking to the next level. And many important lessons to learn. He's actually my role model in many aspects. And, and also the fact that a one person can do it, can change the direction, is empowering for every one of us. I tell that story to my kids, yeah. right? In fact, today morning I had a discussion. They were saying, Daddy, oh, there's a company that can start it. I said, see, someone started Amazon. Someone started Tesla. You can start something yourself. This is all human beings, right? And just to tell you the story of a, one person can do all that is such meaningful and relevant and empowering for our generations, right? Yep, absolutely. Well, I expect someday I'm going to be able to say, uh, I knew the Elon Musk of healthcare and it's Ashish Atreja. And here's the interview where we talked about it. Hey, Ashish, I want to thank you for your time. I know how busy you are and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to stop in and share your wisdom and experience with the community. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Bill. Always a pleasure talking to you. What a great discussion. If you know someone that might benefit from a channel like this, from these kinds of discussions, go ahead and forward them a note. I know if I were a CIO today, I would have every one of my team members listening to a show like this one. It's conference level value every week. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, everywhere. Go ahead, subscribe today. Send a note to someone and have them subscribe as well. We want to thank our keynote sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Those are Sirius Healthcare, VMware, Transparent, Press Ganey, Sempris, and Veritas. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.